Welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights with Tim Lawless. I'm your host, Sadhna Smiles. This is where you will get the most up-to-date information on what is happening across the country in the property market. Our data is underpinned by CoreLogic. Tim Lawless is the leading expert on the real estate market, and REIP is a collective of real estate industry leaders committed to uniting and empowering the industry and our clients. Please enjoy this month's Market Insights. Hello and welcome to REIP CoreLogic Market Insights. I'm your host, Sadhna Smiles, and with me is Head of Research at CoreLogic, Tim Lawless. Tim, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks, Sadhna. Great to be on your program again. Well, the market continues to surprise us yet again. Well, it's still strong, put it that way. So I think in that sense, it's not surprising, but it has started to slow down a little bit. So maybe some early signs, the market's just losing a bit of steam. Still last month, we saw housing values rise by 1.8%. So in that, in that context, this is still a really tight, tight market, a very rapid rate of growth. It's just a little bit lower than what we saw the previous month, which was the fastest growth rate we'd seen since the late 1980s. Mm. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of wind out of the sail, maybe, but still very strong conditions. So what do you think will potentially slow this down? Well, normally what we've seen slow markets down is things like higher rates or an economic shock or credit uh, uh, restrictions being imposed on the market. None of those events really seem to be around the corner. So I think what's what's probably starting to work its way through data now is just simply affordability constraints starting to impact on participation in the market, particularly for first home buyers. Maybe down the track, we could see some credit tightening. That doesn't mm. seem to be imminent at the moment based on what APRA um, have come out with, that they still see lending standards is uh, not really too far from, from normal although we have seen a little bit of a, a rise in some of the riskier types of lending, but nowhere mm. near enough to, to trigger a, a regulatory response just yet. Do you think at some point the banks independently will say, issue affordability, you know, we are going to actually tighten up how we lend to you or, you know, how much we lend to you in the next few months? Do you see that happening? Uh, potentially. And, and you think about how our, our regulators in Australia work quite often it's much more over the desk, so to speak, um, in a consultative manner rather than over its uh, policy implementation. So no doubt APRA and our banking sector are having conversations about uh, you know, lending standards and debt levels, probably in particular, but I'd be surprised if we saw any you know, real sort of messages coming out of the lending sector that they are starting to tighten up on their uh, on their on, on their finance arrangements. We do know, of course, that any lender would be applying a buffer, a serviceability buffer, over and above the going interest rates at the moment. So there's already that level of, I guess, security or, or prudence built into the lending environment. But um, considering how competitive the lending environment is at the moment, yeah, I think any lender would be uh, would be. Yeah, looking for the what, what, that elusive high quality borrower. Yeah. So those people that um, you know have a large deposit, relatively low debt levels relative to the, the loan amount they're, they're looking for are, uh, are clearly the target markets for, mm. for lenders at the moment. Mm. Let's go around the states. What are you seeing? Because they're all, they're all behaving and performing differently. What are you seeing across, particularly around capital cities across the, across the states? Yeah, it is. Um, there is some uniformity in the sense that everywhere is seeing values rising, but uh, some areas are rising a bit faster than, than others. 
So look at the best performers across the capital cities at the moment. It's markets like Darwin, which of course uh, have come from a very low base and have seen quite a rapid rate of appreciation. And Sydney also standing out with some of the strongest rates of capital gain. Sydney housing values are up 2.4% over the month. Darwin was up 2.7% over the month. So both cities just saw a bit of an easing in the rates of growth compared to, uh, to last month, but still very strong conditions. Down at the other end of the spectrum, we've seen Perth just slow down a little bit. The rate of growth over the month was 0.8%. So in the grand scheme of things, still exceptionally strong, but uh, it looks like um, things have just slowed down a little bit in that marketplace. Keeping in mind, Perth and Darwin still have quite a way to go before those markets move through a technical recovery or a nominal recovery. Perth still down about 15% from its 2014 highs and Darwin still nearly 20% lower. In some of the other capital cities, we've also seen this slowdown in the rate of appreciation. Uh, Melbourne was up 1.3%. Brisbane was up 1.7% over the month. Adelaide at 2%. Adelaide was one of the few cities which actually saw a step up in the rate of capital gain over the month. Regionally, we're still seeing this really broad trend where it's the lifestyle markets, the regional lifestyle markets, well and truly leading the pace of capital gains. In fact, if we look at markets like Byron, values are up 27% in the space of a year. Noose is up about 24%. The Grampians outside of Melbourne, more of a hinterland area, were up 24, 23% as well. So there's definitely a theme here. The top performers uh, nationally tend to be these regional lifestyle-driven markets, either coastal or hinterland-style areas that seem to be attracting more demand. If you've got a property there, now is the time to put in the market to sell, isn't it, really? It, these, these markets are so tight, absolutely seller's markets. I mean, yeah. it's a seller's market everywhere, but uh, stock levels in some of these regional um, mm. in high, high demand markets are extremely low. A lot of properties selling off market, it seems as well, and uh, definitely seeing some very rapid price appreciation simply due to the, the imbalance between supply and demand. Mm. Now, the four smallest capital cities all recorded double digit growth. What is driving that? Yeah, yeah, the double digit growth we're seeing in, in Hobart, in Canberra, in Darwin, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's a whole bunch of different factors here. So in Darwin, for example, this is the market that's risen from a very low base. So it's extremely affordable. We're seeing a bit more capital investment, particularly around the military side of things mm -hmm. in Darwin, which seems to be driving a, a rebound in demand against a backdrop of just pretty healthy affordability and, and low supply levels. Hobart has been a consistently strong performer, so it hardly saw much of a hiccup through COVID. And uh, it looks like that market's really benefiting from a very strong rate of migration coming from the mainland, but against a very low level of supply. Hobart's always had a fairly inelastic level of, of new supply, so it doesn't respond very quickly to increases in demand. Canberra, another market that's been very strong, again, for different reasons, it's really the economy in Canberra. We've got an unemployment rate in the ACT that's uh, below 4%, it's about 3.8%, lowest unemployment rate of any uh, um, capital city, uh, and also a relatively affordable market when you consider incomes are generally quite high in Canberra. Um, uh, housing values are still about $300,000 less than what they are in Sydney. So housing affordability, not quite as stretched, even though we are seeing such strong capital gains across the ACT. Now, the ABS is reporting a fall in first home buyer loans um, as of February, their data showed. Does this really surprise you given the 
the low interest rates, but also the bank of mum and dad is now really the second bank that is funding a lot of these loans for first home buyers. First home buyer loans were down about 4% in value in February. So that's the first drop we've seen since May last year. And it's, it's not that surprising to me when you consider first home buyers are generally the most sensitive to price changes in the market. So that they, they tend to have, uh, you know, um, smaller budgets and uh, uh, probably are feeling the, the price pressures a little bit more quickly than some other segments of the marketplace. But there's also been a step down in some of the incentives available as well. You know, home builders expired. Not that that was ex exclusively for first home buyers, but it was another way for them to aggregate a lot of the stimulus together to get into the market. And uh, down the track, we'll see a lot of the stamp duty concessions expiring as well. So I think it's probably a combination of affordability constraints and uh, a little bit less stimulus in the marketplace that's seeing first home buyers winding down. In the last time we saw first home buyers this active in the marketplace was back in 2009 when once again, there was a lot of stimulus yeah. post GFC. And once that stimulus started to wind out, we saw first home buyer levels drop back to levels that were lower than the GFC. So potentially we could see something similar here where despite really low interest rates and some incentives on offer, as we see first home buyer specific incentives uh, um, start to wind down and affordability become more pressing, it makes sense we'll see that uh, that pull forward of demand then, then result in a, uh, um, a drop of demand, maybe even back to levels that were similar to pre-COVID levels. Yeah. you got to feel sorry for them a little bit, don't you? They all they were wanting to buy property, yet affordability still seems to be an issue for that for that generation. Absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of that demand starts to get deflected back into some level of density. You know, we've yeah. seen a real preference shift into detached housing apartment values haven't risen anywhere near the same pace as house values. So for those first home buyers that are still active, maybe they'll start to look back into the sort of townhome uh, walk up or uh, um, mm. high density style of, of options, which tend to have a, a lower price point. Yeah, which is a, well, not, not a bad entry point if you are a first home buyer and you can do that. And you, or and then you can turn it into investment property later on in life. Yeah, absolutely. Getting your, your foot on the first rung in the ladder quite yeah. often means making some sacrifices either around location or around the size of the dwelling you're buying. And uh, probably best to do that before you start growing a family and you need yes. more room. So yeah, the earlier, the better in some cases. Yeah. Now, listings to market is well above average compared to previous years. What do the numbers look like across the country? Yeah, so we're seeing some, some new trends in the listings market, which is really encouraging. And uh, so new listing numbers are really starting to rise. They're, they're defying the normal seasonal slowdown we typically see at the um, this time of the year. So nationally, we've seen a number of new listings tracking around about 18 to 19% above the five-year average. So quite strong. Um, comparing back to last year is becoming pretty useless considering last year we're just moving through the lockdowns and, and new listing numbers were crashing. So the five-year average is a pretty good um, a pretty good benchmark. So we're definitely seeing vendor confidence picking up. Um, understandably, selling conditions are very strong, but we're still seeing buyer activity extremely uh, high as well, which means even though new listings have risen, we're still seeing total listing numbers about 25% below the five-year average which means it's still uh, quite, a lot of buyers are still feeling this palpable sense of urgency, this mm. FOMO that people talk about mm. going away. Maybe it's lost a little bit of its, uh, of its edge as we've seen new listings rising in the market. And 
My guess is if I'm right, the buyer demand is probably going to fade a little bit due to affordability. And we see this ongoing trend of new listings rising, we might start to see a little bit of rebalancing between buyers and sellers. I think it'll still be a seller's market for some time, but maybe a bit more leverage coming back to buyers. Yeah. And what do you, so advertising stock still remains low though. What do you think is the reason for that? It's, it's all about absorption. And, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, new listings are up about 18% on the five-year average, which is great, but we're still seeing overall transactional activity tracking about 25% above the five-year average. So that means that rate of absorption is still keeping total supply levels very low. And that's where this urgency is emanating from. The fact that there's so many buyers out there, they're competing for still a relatively small pool of stock. And that's, uh, that obviously places some upwards pressure on housing prices. Yeah. And so what are you seeing around auction clearance rate, selling times and vendor discounting throughout April? Still very strong, but again, a little bit of a fade in the clearance rates. So through, through March, we saw clearance rates peak at about 83% on the capital city weighted average. Through April, that started to drift a little bit lower, getting down into the high 70% range. Long-term average for clearance rates is generally around the high 60% mark. So even at a high 70% range, that's still a really tight market, but it's just uh, started to show some signs of a slightly lower clearance rate. Markets like Canberra are still seeing clearance rates up in the high 80% mark, even verging on low 90% week on week uh, every now and then. So Canberra is still very tight, but it does look like Sydney's drifted lower from the mid 80% range to either the low 80% range. Last week of April, we saw Sydney finalised at 79%, so just getting a bit below 80%, and Melbourne drifting down into uh, the low 70% range. But average selling time for private treaty sales, nationally, that's reduced down to about 26 days across the capital cities. Uh, sorry, uh, 26 days across the capital cities, 29 days across the regional markets. So the private treaty numbers still showing a very rapid rate of sale. Um, discounting rates are at record lows, just a little bit above 2%, which means there's not much negotiation happening in the market. No. So it's, it's an incredible market to be working in, I have to say. It's, it's, uh, it, doesn't, it surprises me every week when I see the numbers coming through that you, know, you, you sort of wonder when is this all going, the bubble is going to burst as such, but month by month, it just continues to get stronger. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's a healthy outcome that we are starting to see things slowing down a little bit. And my guess is that will, that trend will probably continue. We can't see housing prices keep on rising at such a rapid pace of growth, particularly when incomes aren't really doing too yeah. much at all. Yeah. So affordability is, is becoming a little bit more problematic. And of course, coming into late this year, maybe next year, we might start to see credit tightening up. And of course, mm. if that does happen, that will be a much more material dampening in, in activity, I'd say. Mm. Now, rental conditions continue to be strong everywhere, but in Melbourne and Sydney. What are the strongest performing rental markets that you've seen? Yes, yeah, rental markets are just so, so diverse at the moment. We're seeing at one end of the spectrum, Perth and Darwin are well and truly into double digit annual rental growth. Uh, Perth rents are up 16%, Darwin rents are up 19% over the past 12 months, and very strong rates for both houses and units. So really signaling a, a very tight rental market. And where both these areas haven't seen very much private sector investment, which means mm -hmm. rental supply hasn't really been increased over the past five or six years. And now we're seeing a lot of demographic tailwinds coming through as more people move into state into uh, NT and WA. 
At the other end of the spectrum, we've still got the Sydney and Melbourne, or Melbourne and Sydney in that order, their inner city apartment markets are really dragging on the unit trends in those two large cities. So we've seen annual growth in both Sydney and Melbourne apartments is down around six to 8%. Some early signs that, that might be stabilizing. We've actually seen Sydney apartment rents holding firm for the last four months. Melbourne uh, not showing as much decline. So maybe starting to see some demand coming back into those inner city apartment precincts as workers return to work, but we're still not expecting any real material improvement in those um, inner city apartment rents until international borders reopen and we start to get more students back into those uh, high-rise precincts. Yeah, which by the sound of things might be a while away, particularly when you see what's happening in places like India at the moment, which really fed our student market. Yeah, well, India and China were, were very big contributors to foreign students, and uh, there's, there's definitely some issues in both of those, <laughs> both of those countries for different reasons. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see, even when our international borders do open up, how many of these foreign students come back, and is it a different mix? Yeah, yeah. Now we've seen rental yields fall across most regions in Australia. What are they in capital cities versus regional areas? Absolutely seeing rental yields under some downwards pressure. So across the combined capitals, yields are down to 3.2%, which is a record low. These are gross numbers, uh, really being driven by compression in Sydney and Melbourne once again. So Sydney rental yields are tracking at 2.7%, Melbourne's at 2.9%. So both of those markets on average, one and truly in, in negative cash flow, whereas outside of Sydney and Melbourne, yields tend to be around the mid 4% range. You can probably net them out to be around the mid 3% range, implying that for investors, there's a lot more opportunity for cash flow in those markets. So hopefully investors are looking at both sides of the equation. You know, generally we see investors looking for capital gain primarily and disregarding the yield side of, of the equation. But I think at the moment, you can really get the best of both worlds in capital cities outside of Sydney and Melbourne, where yields are very strong relative to rental rates, uh, sorry, relative to mortgage rates and capital growth prospects are looking pretty decent as well. Yeah. Now, you and I talked about mortgage deferrals um, the last couple of episodes that we've done, but the, this seems to be less significant than what was initially anticipated, which is a good thing. Absolutely, this is a good thing. And uh, it's pretty much a non-event, to be honest. So we saw uh, mortgage <laughs> deferrals peaked at about 11% of the mortgage book back in July, May, July last year. Uh, at the end of February, there are only about 0.7% of all mortgages. And I'm guessing by the end of March, when the mortgage deferral program expired, it was probably less than half a percent. So um, APRA is not publishing the, the statistics anymore. So uh, we'll have to just start waiting for the arrears data to flow through and look for any signs of distressed listings. It's uh, yeah, at, at half a percent or so of the mortgage book, still on a deferred basis at the expiry, it's not, a, it's not going to be a material impact on the housing market. There probably will be a few precincts or, or sectors where we do see um, some distress in the market. And I think it will probably will be some of these inner city high rise precincts where rental incomes have fallen quite significantly. And uh, there's not a great deal of investment demand in those sectors either for um, offloading uh, as a resale environment. Mm. And what are the labour market trends telling you? Um, and, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Is there possibility of tighter credit policies at some point? So the labour market trends uh, have been you know, surprising on the upside repeatedly. We, we've been seeing unemployment coming down. We've been seeing jobs growth. There's now more jobs in Australia than there were pre-COVID. 
but we are moving into a period of uncertainty to, to some extent now as JobKeeper is finished. So we'll see the April uh, labor force data coming through pretty shortly. And uh, my guess is we might see a little bit of a blip um, in, in this trend. So maybe unemployment just, just blipping a little bit higher or jobs growth stalling out a little bit. I think that will be temporary. And uh, I think the labor markets demonstrated to have enough momentum to, to keep on going, uh, albeit with a bit of disruption as, co as um, JobKeeper finishes. And then on the credit tightening side of things, it's definitely one to watch. It's uh, looking at the commentary coming out of APRA and the RBA and the Council of Financial Regulators. Repeatedly, they're using the language that they're not concerned about lending, lending standards becoming uh, less prudent at the moment. We have seen a little bit of slippage in things like um, the proportion or the number of high LVR loans or high debt to income loans. Probably that can be explained by more, more first home buyers in the market. But uh, yeah, definitely um, we will be seeing the regulators and policymakers watching these numbers. And if there is a more material blowout in any of these numbers being interest only lending, high DTI or high LTI loans or high LVR loans, then that will probably be the trigger for some type of credit reform. Um, but it doesn't look to be around the corner at the moment, but uh, maybe later this year, maybe early next year, but it really depends on the lending environment. It has really nothing to do with the pace of capital gains in the housing market. It's all to do with uh, lending standards. Mm. Tim, once again, thank you for your time. I look forward to talking to you in May, uh, actually in June, about what the May market's done. Absolutely. Thank you, Sardna. Have a great month and I'll see you uh, in June. See you then. Thank you for joining us. Please take a few moments to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.